Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by BetSperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, we're talking baseball. It is uh, it's time for a little day ball. It's time for a little day ball. Tomorrow is opening day. Um, as much as I have a tough time handicapping the sport and really kind of finding any way to make money on baseball, I cannot get over the nostalgia of an opening day. Uh, one of sort of the kind of hallmarks of spring. Uh, and uh, yeah, they've this season has, I mean, just looking at the windows, looking at the futures market, there's a lot to pick apart uh, to kind of talk about the season. And so we have joining us, uh, I think it's, I, I, I would love for this to be an annual tradition. Uh, love getting back together with our with our great friend Adam Burke at Skating Tripods. Welcome back to the Deep what? Dive to talk a little baseball. Yeah. It's good to be here, boys. Uh, yeah, we can do an annual thing. Why not? What year did we do a baseball? I, I don't know. Who was the, I feel bad. We, we, did, we definitely <laughs> did a baseball forward. podcast and then like yeah. the COVID hit. And I don't remember if it was Adam or I, I felt bad. Like, hey, we just did a whole baseball podcast and sports are done. With, we had bigger things to worry about, but no, it, it's a, it's an interesting year and it's fun. And it's great to get Adam here because he pays attention more. God, you're not even that far from one of the two big spring training hubs. I keep meaning to make it down there for honestly, mm. my, my twins, I'd say my twins lightly, they do play in Fort Myers. They do play in the, you know, grapefruit, but I think I'd way rather it's like, I don't care about seeing the twins split squad just because they're my team. I'm like, if I'm doing a spring training trip, I'm probably going to go to Arizona instead anyway. So I think one of these years I will make it down for some cactus ball. Um, That's, and then just right off the bat, because we were talking before Drew even got in the room. Is baseball going to be cool again? Like, are we legitimately, (laughs) are we legitimately going to get like 70, you know, 75 minutes, uh, you know, like two and a quarter hour games, or is that just a pipe dream? And like, all of a sudden they're going to start throwing commercial breaks in and baseball is going to be slow and awful. And it's not going to matter. Like, is it going to be, uh, you know, catered to the ADHD crowd? <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, the, the games in spring training were a lot quicker. And we're talking about tons of pitching changes and, you know, personnel changes, guys not playing the full game, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, there's going to be some quick games there, I think, in April, particularly where there's not likely to be a ton of offense since the ball won't carry in a lot of these parks. They're speeding up the game. They seem really serious about doing it. And I mean, yeah, I guess if if you're part of the quote unquote ADHD crowd that you mentioned, you'd be very happy with the pace of play to be sure. The other rules I think are a lot more interesting from a betting standpoint, but yeah, it's going to be one of those things where if you're, you know, an East coaster watching a late game in the West, you're not going to bet at one thirty, two o'clock anymore. I don't think. Yeah. It's it, it. Baseball did turn into like the ultimate I'm on my phone and if I'm watching baseball and it's like 70, 30, my phone, you know, we do that with every sport nowadays, but I'm still like an NFL game. I'm, I'm looking up as soon as the play starts and man, baseball did sort of slow down. And I mean, first off, fuck the white Sox. Like I guess, and the <laughs> guardians, Indians, whatever, because I, I will pose myself as a little bit of a twins fan, but Christ almighty, I love Mark Burley. Like if this is what we're really going to get, I really do think I'm going to enjoy watching, listening to, attending baseball even more this year. So I'm jacked. Hopefully that's a harbinger of like things to come for this year. The only thing I worry about if you're attending a baseball game 
is, I mean, Cleveland at, at Progressive Field is kind of notorious for slow concessions. Yeah. You know, you, you take a piss and get a beer and like you might miss three and a half innings. Now. <laughs> so, that's kind of the problem with going, I guess. You do get you spend if you spend the money on the really good tickets and you get the waiter. Maybe that might be the instead of going to five games, just go to one game and spend a lot more on the tickets. That's that's seriously the best thing about like sitting really close is awesome. But the, if you've ever gotten the really good seats, it's like, holy shit, I have a waiter. Like somebody's going to get my beer and it probably costs like uh, an extra 150 percent. But that might be uh, that might be the ticket. You're right. It is. It's slow going getting the beers and dogs. Well, okay. Before we get into the uh, kind of specifics of this season, uh, let's give the listeners who are not familiar a little bit of your background. Uh, if you don't already follow him at Skating Tripods on Twitter, best use of a uh, Steve Spurrier JPEG that I know of uh, in across the uh, betting landscape. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, same, same Steve Spurrier. Uh, I remember the first time we had you on video, and I was like, "Wait, you're not? You don't look anything like Steve Spurrier." <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's how long it's. Ben. Um, what is some of your background in terms of betting baseball? And, you know, we'll pivot that right into some questions about like how the markets have changed uh, over the years. Cause I know you, you, uh, you are not new to <laughs> the betting baseball space and, you know, with experience and, you know, comes a lot of wisdom uh, when it comes to these betting markets. So Ooh. yeah, what, uh, what, yeah, what was, what was sort of your genesis into this? Good, good follow-up right on top of that before Adam even utters a word is like <laughs> what one and talk, talk about your history of betting it, but talk about, your progression where you're at now like the biggest lessons learned over the last Christ decade sure. I don't know of like taking betting baseball as a serious you know even just as a serious hobby or whatever you want to call it yeah I mean I think the first thing I'll say is I keep the Spurrier avatar on Twitter just because that's kind of the face I make most days just scrolling through Twitter <laughs> so it just it just feels like it's still pretty appropriate to have yeah so I mean it sort of came out of wanting to understand it, and I am a Guardians fan, born and raised in Cleveland, wanting to understand like how they were able to have a competitive team while not really spending a whole lot of money because that's really what they've been for a long period of time. Now, when, when Dick Jacobs had the team and, and they were in the 90s, they had big payrolls, but once the Dolan family took over, the payrolls took a big hit, and they were still a pretty good team, 2005, 2007, you know, and then they've kind of really figured things out over the last decade. But I wanted to figure out why. I wanted to know what it was that they looked at in terms of isolating players that they wanted to sign. So I started digging into the analytics. You know, I, I like many, read Moneyball in, you know, the early 2000s and, you know, just started really embracing those stats and looking at baseball in a different way. And it got to the point where I'd go to a game and I was a season ticket holder for many years. All I saw were numbers. I didn't even see human beings, which is kind of depressing in some ways. Um, but I just I started really digging into the analytics. And then in college, as I got into betting, thanks to my roommate, you know, I was like, you know what, maybe I can kind of apply this to baseball. So ever since then, that's you know, kind of what I've been doing for the last let's shit, how long has it been now? 15-ish years, <laughs> kind of using sabermetrics to look at baseball. And then the thing that's really interesting about baseball in, in terms of the second question that Drew asked of the progression, you know, in that time, we've gotten a lot more statistical data. There, there are a lot more places that share it. It's gotten way more advanced, especially with the advent of StatCast and kind of the progression of that. So the stats I've primarily used have had to change throughout that period of time in hopes of keeping up an edge where it used to be, Hey, you look at ERA and FIP and XFIP, and there's going to be a 30 cent line move on that guy. 
know, that's circa 2014, 2015. Now, ERA and FIP are just, I mean, everyone uses them. You, you have a basic knowledge of baseball and you're using them. So I had to adapt and evolve in that way, along with all the changes that come year in and year out with baseball, how they impact the game itself. It's such a nice little microcosm to just understanding sports betting over a longer period of time. Yeah. <laughs> just like there's, hey, this works. It's like, shit, everybody knows about it. Like, <laughs> you know, or even just, it's become, uh, I mean, the, the terminology, oh, it's priced in now. Like, it's time yeah. to move on. And baseball is great. And there's so many great websites and writers and guys who are just so into it that it seems like they're just the, you know, the, the excitement yeah. around coming up with a, a, a more granular, a better way to explain why things happen to why bad things happen to good pitchers. Dude, there's so way. much, yeah. there's so much data now. That there are people that are like crunching PhDs uh, based yeah. on the physics of baseball, which is amazing to me. I mean, uh, I mean there's, there's, cool. there's people we followed on Twitter <laughs> years ago that did baseball stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I work for the Reds now. <laughs> you know, this is the guy went to, he went to school for stats and yeah. for computer science and really just leaned into that. It's like, oh, shit, this is like a job. Well, and that's happening in all sports where, you know, you, you see bloggers that were really good at analytics getting front office jobs, you know, and all that kind of thing. But you look at most of the executives around baseball, they're Ivy League educated. I'm not. I went to the University of Akron. That's Mac is not the Ivy League. But, Oops. you know, it, it's just one of those things where oh, yeah. you, you have to, I think, have an understanding of the data to, you know, make decisions for these organizations. But also, I think, to give yourself the best chance possible with, you know, betting on, on really any of these major sports, you know, and, and like people, people talk about analytics ruining the game of baseball and, and this and that, like, do people enjoy the NBA right now with games totaled in the two thirties and the two forties, a lot of analytics kind of influencing that. So, you know, I don't think analytics have ruined any sport. They've just made it where I think you have to have either a deeper understanding or just be willing to embrace the fact that the numbers are there and not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I get it. I get a little with the NFL crowd with the older people just don't they they don't love the the high risk high reward stuff on fourth downs. But like, I never understood it with the baseball crowd. It's like, what you you were into bunting or like <laughs> that's that was like your kink. What what, what that's what you can't you you paid your money to go drive to the ballpark to watch people bunt with guys on base. Like that's, well, that's, I mean, that's like the NFL, right? First and second down, you run three yards in the line of scrimmage and you throw yeah. on third down. Like that was the sacrifice bunting of the NFL. That's yeah. Like yeah. Um, well, at the beginning of every season and, you know, since we're kind of talking about like the long arc of being a player uh, and handicapping a given sport, um, you know, it's it's I have seen enough now, having done it enough times in NFL and NBA, where I come into a season with a set of priors, you know, usually informed with a, a decent amount of offseason homework um numerically you know numerical model based uh to get some kind of idea of what you know fair price ought to be for any given team any given lineup any given pitcher whatever and my most successful seasons almost certainly come from i guessed right on certain things heading into the season and my priors were better than market and then if you're operating from a point where your priors are better than market to start the season, then you can consistently sort of stay a step ahead as people realize, oh, well, this is important now. Oh, this news data can be used this way. Oh, this is valuable in this aspect, right? And so um, can you talk a little bit about your process for generating priors? And do you notice the same sort of thing? Because 
you know, I, it's not to say that you can't have a successful season without being ahead of market to start the season, surely, uh, you know, sometimes, but it, it takes a grind. <laughs> you have to grind your seat if you're losing first month of the year. And maybe it's a little different in baseball too, because the percentages are a little different that, you know, for an NBA, like you're going to, you're going to reach statistical uh, stability on a lot of the key key parameters after you know 25 30 games you don't have to wait for you know a full you know two months of baseball to play out to have like a kind of a solid read on you know some guys progression growth tools he added in the offseason whatever uh is any of this ringing true in your experience uh handicapping and coming up with uh, uh priors for you know the start of a season yeah i mean one thing i will say i don't make my own numbers in baseball that, that's just not something I do. I think it'd be very tricky to kind of power rate every pitcher and, you know, correlate that with every team and every matchup and everything like that. It's just, to me, I think it's too challenging to do that. Also, I'm not that smart, so it's very hard for me to do. But I will say that, you know, there are a few things. I mean, you kind of create profiles of not only individual pitchers, but of teams, you know, and and you start looking at what teams are doing on the whole with their pitchers and their hitters, and then also on an individual level and try to kind of build off of that going into a season. So, like, for example, the Baltimore Orioles were a team I was really high on going into last year relative to the market. And, I mean, they wound up blowing away every expectation. I mean, they were in the playoff hunt basically until the final week of the year. But it's largely because they made some changes in the front office. They got smarter. They were doing different things with their pitchers. And so I kind of expected that team to just kind of raise everybody's level of performance. And that's largely what happened, not to mention the ballpark changes. They moved back to fence and left field. That helped them a lot. So I, I just do a lot of research and reading and writing. And I've been, I previewed all 30 teams over at vcin.com. That's how I get ready for the season. You know, and and what's tough about Major League Baseball is it's the only sport where the playing object fundamentally changes every year. You know, and in 2019, <laughs> Andy's twins hit 307 home runs, the most in baseball. Four teams that year beat what was the previous record for home runs in a season. And that was 2019 with a juiced ball. 2020 was a throwaway COVID year. 2021 offense came down fairly significantly from 2019. And then last year, the first six weeks of the season, there was no offense whatsoever. And then all of a sudden in mid-May, it's like, oh, we should maybe change the baseball because all the games are three to two. And then everything changes. Like nothing that happened in the first six weeks of the season can really compare to the rest of the season. So I think it's a little bit more difficult in baseball to – kind of, you know, use a lot of those priors and and use a lot of kind of what you think you know or what you expect to know because it's just such a high-variance sport. The inherent nature of batter versus pitcher, you know, whether or not a ball in play winds up being a hit, whether it winds up being an out, you know, baseball is just – it's a very hard, very high-variance, very volatile type of market to try and bet into to where I think a lot of it is read and react for the most part. Yeah, I mean, and the, the reaction thing, obviously important in any market, any sport, but it's weird how you're just working on like two separate timelines. Whereas, you know, even if you don't want to go at the player level, even at the team level, let's just say hitting versus a pitcher where, uh, you know, uh, the sample size of the hitter starts to shoot up or the sample size of the pitcher, you, know, you get a weird rain day and suddenly it's you're you're 17 games in it's like man this guy has pitched like twice 
and I don't know what to make of anything yet. You know, we're, we're damn half, we're almost in May at this point, and you know, a lot of the hitters, you've you've got a, a fairly decent sized sample size at that point. That's what's always bugged me about like trying to make any adjustments for starting pitchers is you're working on just a slow ass slow ass timeline. <laughs> Well, and to your point, so the Chicago White Sox, for example, are a really interesting season this year because they get rid of Tony La Russa, which is clearly going to help them. Got to be a plus, yeah. They, they changed their hitting coach. And their hitting coach last year, Frank Menachino, who had a not good, but a, a long MLB career as kind of being a utility type of guy and all that, mm-hmm. he didn't hit for power in his career. So he comes in with the mindset of, you know, hey, let's just put a bunch of balls in play and just – We'll hit the ball the other way, and we'll do all these things. A guy like Jose Abreu, who's had five 30 homer seasons in his career, I think, or close to it, he hit 15 last year in a full season. Well, this year the White Sox hired one of the assistants from the Braves who strike out at a 24% rate but are top three in the league in home runs every year. So, like, a prior for the White Sox means nothing offensively because they're going to completely (laughs) change their philosophy. Whether or not it works, we'll see. It depends on if the ball is dead or not, probably. But that's a team that's going to go from being a singles-oriented offense to going, you know what, we're going to hit the ball over the fence now if we can. So it's higher risk, higher reward. And it probably doesn't work early in the season when the ball doesn't carry. But then as the season goes along and it warms up, it should be a lot better. So, like, just there are so many things about baseball that just change within a season that you can think about, you can try to account for, but maybe all that preseason work goes out the window pretty quickly. It's, it's just, you, you have to be adaptable in any market, but I think baseball, especially. You're making, you're making me think of David Ortiz a little too, because there was a, <laughs> I do believe the twins process late in the nineties, especially with their payroll was, Hey, we're everybody's a slap hitter. Everybody's getting on first. And we're not going to hit a lot of balls over the fence, even in the, even in the Homer dome. And it's weird how David Ortiz was like a, a middling first base DH kind of guy. And then he went to a different team with a different mindset. And I mean, look where he is now. Well, the steroids help too. Yeah. The steroids steroids probably help. Everybody was doing it. He was just eating a lot of uh, skinless chicken and uh, the food's different. Too too many uh, many juicy Lucy's there in Minneapolis. Skinless chicken breasts, you know? Um, No, I think uh, your points are fair. And I just would point out that there are, uh, there are a lot of ways to win in sports betting information, which is kind of one of the ones you're pointing to. Uh, and just in general, having a mental model uh, is certainly a way to get it done. Uh, and, you know, I think how, how do you go about on a game by, you know, if you have some uh, kind of macro theses about the way that the game is changing and or a way a team is approaching a given season uh, and you know, okay, well, yeah, Orioles are going to be better than the market thinks this year. Um, how do you apply that mental model to a game by game handicap? And, you know, what, what types of things do you look for to try to uh, distinguish uh, your approach from maybe somebody who's doing a, you know, more, a more physics based, you know, entirely analytical, but maybe not watching the games type of approach. Well, this season is, is a unique animal because you've got three rule changes that are, are pretty impactful. Um, the bigger base is one. Well, largely only impact stolen bases. It's more of a player safety thing than anything else, but there is an increased aggressiveness in terms of stolen base attempts that we're going to see that we saw throughout the minor leagues. We saw in spring training. We'll see at the big league level now too, because with the pitch clock and you're only allowed two disengagements during the course of 
not during the course of an at-bat, but while a guy is on a certain base. If he moves to the next base, you're allowed to reset and all of that. But you get two disengagements, which means stepping off, which means throwing over, which means calling time as a pitcher. So now if you're a base runner and that guy's thrown over twice and you look at the pitch clock and you go, well, he's got to go to home plate, you're taking off. So that's going to create a lot more havoc on the base paths to be sure. And then the shift ban, I mean, that's huge, you know, in, in so many different ways. But going into this season, you know, it's kind of less about philosophical approaches for teams because, you know, I think a team changing its mindset is really beneficial like the White Sox are doing. But this year it's just which teams are set up the best for the rule changes and which teams are set up the worst for them. So we've seen a lot of love in the market for the Diamondbacks and their season win total in the (laughs) mid-70s because they're a team that puts a lot of balls in play. They're a very athletic team. They're a very good defensive team. They're tailor-made for these rule changes to benefit them both on offense and on defense. The Cleveland Guardians, same thing. They had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball last year. They were top six or seven in stolen, top five, I think, actually, in stolen bases. Like, they were already doing these things. They're only going to get better at those things in this post-shift pitch clock world. There are other teams that won't. The Red Sox don't steal bases. You know, a team like the... Minnesota Twins, they don't really steal bases. So there are some teams out there that, you know, may not benefit much. Team like the Giants, one of my favorite season win total bets, Giants under 81 and a half. Their pitching staff was number one in ground ball percentage last year. They lose Carlos Rodon, who was their highest strikeout starting pitcher, and their defense is terrible. So in a post-shift world where your ground ball percentage is going to be 46, 47, 48%, you're going to let a lot of hits go through. So then it just becomes, are you fortunate enough to get outs with men in square position or not? And I don't know if that's going to be the case for them. So, like, that's a situation where the rule changes basically directed me to a season win total bet just because of the composition of that team and how much the rules will hurt them. Well, I love this. Well, I, I, w- I want to go back to the to the disengagements thing because I feel like I'm just – I didn't fully understand the rule. I don't know if I fully understand a balk all that well. <laughs> it's, it's one of those rules that's just, you know, I don't know that everyone understands it all that well. But if you've thrown over twice and your foot's on the rubber, if the guy takes off way too early, you can still step off and throw to second. But if you've – or or is it like if you've stepped on the rubber, that's it? I, I feel like you, that it has to be you've made your move to, or you're, you've made your move towards home or – I guess that's a balk anyway. I'm just confused at like how uh, in my mind, it's like, holy shit. If, if he's thrown over twice, it's like an auto steal almost, which I coach or I don't coach. I have a daughter who plays uh, under 10 softball, which once you get on first base, there's just no catchers that can throw to second. So everything's an auto <laughs> steal all the time, which is fun. But that, that's crazy to, if you could a little more elaboration on what happens after you've made those two disengagements, the two throwovers to, let's just say, a, a runner on first, because Christ, the steals could go through the roof here. Yeah, they absolutely could go through the roof. I mean, one thing that we did see in spring training, actually, was we saw a lot more catchers throwing behind the runner after a pitch to try and kind of keep them a little bit closer. Gotcha. Um, I I mean, I guess if he takes off, like I, and maybe I need to, to kind of dig in a little bit more on the rule, because that's something that didn't really cross my mind too much of, you know, if you're standing there and you're ready to pitch and he just takes off, I, I presume you can step off because I would think so. Otherwise, not, it really, feels like cheating. You're not really <laughs> dis- right. You're not disengaging from 
kind of the action that's happening. It's, you know, the guy moved and he's taken off and like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would it, think if you're at that point, there's kind of an exception to the rule. Do yeah, we well, know? For I sure think, it, I think gonna... it's more of a half step extra on your lead because he can't go back to first right. rather than I, I would I'm, I'm going to try, like I'm going to try to cheat this early. Yeah. I would say something off. like that. Um, and look, you know, we, we've seen, um, actually we just saw one yesterday in the twins game where, one of the fielders was barely on the grass, like left heel on the grass before the pitch. And that's a violation of the shift rule. You have to have both <laughs> feet on the dirt when the pitcher's on the rubber. So, you know, we saw that and, and it wound up being, a, I think it was a strikeout, but it wound up being a ball because they were improperly lined up on defense. So oh my gosh. there's going to be stuff like this that's going to impact a bet. I'm sure I'll lose a bet on an automatic strike or some bullshit, but Here, yeah, here's a dumb question uh, because there's not, you know, obviously bases are 90, but is the, is the distance, you know, that, that area that's dirt, is that standardized? I have no idea. I mean, at every single park at every single park. I think it is. I yeah. think it's, that part, it's that supposed part, to be. That part, yeah. I feel like it is. Okay, because I'm just well, the grounds crew can. can yeah, play games I was going to say. I wonder yeah. if teams cheat that a little. You have um, to get umps out there measuring the distance from home plate to the dirt. Well, give me, give me your gut, gut, gut feeling on this, Adam. Uh, they're going to enforce the letter of the law strictly, or kind of they did it somewhat strictly during spring training to kind of make sure it all sinks in and then they're gonna be a little lenient you gotta you gotta read there well i think it's gonna be kind of fascinating to watch because on the whole wins and losses don't mean anything in spring training right yeah. so the umpires maybe aren't you know focused as much on the gameplay as they are in kind of enforcing the rules yeah, sure. but it's the eighth inning base is loaded one out it's loud in there everything else is the first base umpire going to be looking at the second baseman to make sure that he's not on the grass? Like, I don't know, but I can tell you that if it's not enforced, some team is going to get really pissed off about it. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, there's, there's certainly an element of human error and I feel like sure. the idea of giving umpires even more power and influence is not a good one <laughs> given you know the efficiency of, of, you know, their, their performance. But I, I honestly don't know. You know, as like, long as as long as we're allowed to review it, that's all. No, I, 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 really, just, I was just gonna <laughs> say, like, after all these kidding. things that make the game go faster, <laughs> it's gonna be like, oh my god, it worked. But the complaints can be like, you know what? Next year we're expanding review four hour games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm gonna lose my shit. Hey, well, and then yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, the do, do these things like the the shift in fractions? Yeah. Like, do these have to exclusively be called by the umpires on the field? Is there like an eye in the sky oh, that's going to report down like they do with the pitch clock? I, I don't know those things. I guess I haven't read up enough on that. I know Jeff Passan over at ESPN wrote an article about the pitch clock today. So maybe, maybe it's kind of all listed in there. But, you know, you're going to have some crews that probably will be better about it than others. If enforcement is inconsistent, that'll be extremely frustrating for teams, betters, players, for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. You know, and then there was there was an interesting thing that one of um, one of the Vison listeners brought up to me on Twitter was, you know, you look at the pitch clock, and I think it disproportionately affects relievers more than it affects starters because relievers are guys that tend to take longer, yeah, the stakes right. are higher, uh, they throw harder, so they kind of want more recovery time. And he was like, you know, will there be a smart team like Tampa Bay 
who guys in an 0-2 count, and he just takes an automatic ball just for more recovery time to throw his next pitch at 100% instead of at 90 or 95%. That's a great point. You know, so that could be kind of an interesting I'm not ready to throw this pitch. It's yeah. a high leverage pitch. This is going, you know, two feet outside. Nobody's swinging at this. And, it, you know, at 86, because I'm worried more about getting ready for the next one. That's super interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder about the other way, too, because, like, there's clearly ways that guys on base hitters can game this. Uh, in, you know, that we've already seen it in spring training. It looks, it makes, there's, it's fun. So I'm, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to be old man yells the cloud about this. Um, but uh, certainly if you have a couple of fun things in your back pocket to try to game the new rules, you're going to save them for the highest leverage games and the highest leverage innings. You know, you're not going to deploy them in the middle of the third, you know, so middle of the third or inning. April yeah. At all. yeah. Or April. Yeah. So I, I it's going to, it's going to continue to evolve all season, which will be kind of fun. And um, the eye in the sky thing too, has me thinking. And then I just, I imagine the pitch clock having a buzzer, like the shot clock in basketball. And how hilarious that would be <laughs> if it went off after the pitch and you had this huge <laughs> they can't they can't be doing this is it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It'll be definitely some uh, I wonder because of what baseball's been willing, like Adam said, the maybe not to say it out loud, but like, hey, we switched the ball. Nobody came out and said that, but I wonder how willing baseball will be to make some changes here. Just be like, hey, this isn't working right. We have to make some adjustments to like actually make it work because that's the right way to do things like let's fix this while we're going about it if, yeah. if this is a disaster now i'm like pumped to watch real baseball tomorrow yeah same um okay so two other kind of changes that are macro that impact things the win total one you know don't get me wrong like this is built into the a lot of a lot of the way these were bet <laughs> this is not breaking news um but the schedule is different you're not playing as many games against your division and that matters a lot because the divisions are not balanced. In fact, some might say that the NL Central might be one of the worst divisions we've seen in sports in a long time. Uh, and you know, for that matter, some of the bottom of the AL Central is not great. Uh, and that may, you know, kind of keep, you know, whoever emerges as the best team in the AL Central from really kind of keeping up win total wise with some of the other, uh, you, know, tr you know, true contenders. Um, do you think that this does have an effect in terms of the overall fabric of what the playoffs look like is, or is this, uh, you know, just a long overdue good thing because you're going to get more interesting matchups across, you know, the you know, variable teams over a given season. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a couple of positives to it. One of them, I mean, it's not a positive for the guardians because it's been something that's worked out for them a lot. They've beaten the hell out of the, of the AL central for a while. Yeah. And now they don't have that luxury. I mean, they were a team that, in non-division games over the last several years are like a, a little bit better than 500, you know, but they've dominated the Tigers and, you know, played well against the Royals and, you know, they match up well with the White Sox because they got a bunch of right-handed pitching, stuff like that. So it will be a negative for some teams, probably a positive for others. You think about, you know, if you're the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies playing six fewer games against each other, you can't argue with that. Um, it was kind of done. You know, I think I saw a stat where like, Mike Trout's been in the league for over a decade, and there's one ballpark he's played in like once. So <laughs> yeah, they're kind of thinking of doing it for that reason. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to help some teams and hurt other teams. And I think, by and large, it will have an impact by the time the playoffs roll around. Because, like, we may run into a situation where the Guardians or the Twins or the Cardinals or somebody wins, like, 
87 games, win this in the division, and winds up hosting a wild card team. You yeah. know, so there'll, there'll be something like that that kind of comes into play. Um, I kind of thought Major League Baseball would go back to two divisions at some point, since you know now they're just running the six team playoff and all that. But we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it definitely has an impact, and some teams will benefit certainly more than others. The thing that I think kind of levels this off a little bit is, you know, a few years ago, it was we've got like six really good teams and like seven or eight just awful teams that are going to lose 95 plus games. Well, those really bad teams now are at such a stage in their rebuilds where they've gotten better. So I do think the middle of Major League Baseball is getting is kind of closing the gap a little bit with the top of the league. We still have awful. I mean, the Nationals will be bad. The A's will be bad. But. I don't think we have a whole lot of like dead set 95 plus loss teams to where that could create a little bit more parity, especially when you're playing against teams that you don't really prepare for, don't really see a whole lot. Um, smart teams with better advanced scouting probably get a little bit of a bump because you know now they're playing teams that may not be as prepared for them. Mm. So those are things I'm starting to think about with it. Okay. I like it. Uh, and in general, the, um, the wild card pool may come may, may be more true to just the correct teams as opposed to a team sneaking into the wild card picture because they beat up on their lousy divisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. which which could have impact at the trade deadline. You know, there there probably oh, yeah. won't true. be a large number of sellers. So, you know, the teams that may be in positions to sell or have those tough decisions, you know, you start looking at in season win total things, stuff like that, you know, order of finish props possibly. You know, that may be something where, look, if, if you're a selling team and you have things that other teams want and you can leverage that now better in, in what will be, you know, probably a pretty strong seller's market, some of those teams are going to make those decisions and, and possibly really bottom out late in the year. Yeah, the, the combination of this, and I, I believe somebody even brought this up, you know, as soon as we started to add teams to the wild card, it's like, hey, there's going to be a lot of teams that are, even more unrealistic about their chances now mm-hmm. because there's an extra spot. He's like the teams that are not, it's not like, Hey, you have to be a really shitty team. You have to be a, a somewhat shitty team, maybe with realistic, you know, thoughts about your season and what you want to do with it. And suddenly like you do have more leverage because the supply and demand suddenly changes. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting come to, uh, you know, trade time or just deadline time. What some of these deals look like, like if you're in a rebuild, it's kind of perfect right now because mm-hmm. just you can you can absolutely leverage some of those assets that you want to be moving on from because everybody's going to be a goddamn buyer. That'll be fun. <laughs> I like that part of the year a lot. I do too, for sure. Uh, so you mentioned one thing that's interesting of sort of the lesser teams coming up pretty pretty aggressively. Some of that young talent that they've stockpiled is getting to the majors. Um, as I looked across the uh, awards markets. Uh, and, you know, again, like I'm a casual, I'm not like super, you know, dialed into every aspect of the major league baseball season. Uh, but this year I feel more divorced from who is supposed to be good than ever before. Is this me being out of touch or is baseball going through a little bit of a generational, uh, shift in terms of who's good beyond like the top line guys, the shows, the trouts, the, uh, you know, the Acunas, the Tatises, like, you know, everybody, it feels like everybody under that kind of elite all-star long-term contract class is turning over. I'm in, I'm in the same boat. It's usually like when I see 
tweets from smart baseball people this time of year, or even just people I talk to about yeah. like markets. It's usually, oh, that's a rookie of the year market. That's why I don't know who the hell that <laughs> name is. Where it's like, hey, I don't, I don't know who you just bet to win Cy Young. I've never <laughs> heard of this person. I feel like well, it's that's the other. There's a, that's another kind of parallel here. Like the good name pitchers, these guys are getting old as shit. Like there's some, these guys are gray, gray beards here now. Uh, and you know, do we expect a pretty aggressive fall off in any of these guys? I mean, I, like, I guess is, is my thesis, right? Are we going through a little bit of, uh, um, you know, changing of the guard in terms of the flag bearers of the sport? Yeah, I think so. I think teams are being a little bit more aggressive with their development paths for players, okay. because, you know, when you think about some of the, the best guys in baseball right now, you know, I mean, what Juan Soto made his debut at like 19. You yep. know, obviously Trout was up young. Julio Rodriguez is 22, 23 yep. years old. You're getting a lot of elite level players that are under 25, under 26. And they're just coming up and they're not missing a beat. You know, like the Cardinals having Jordan Walker in their starting lineup, he's 20 years old. I mean, the Cardinals have one losing season since 2000. They've been in the playoffs 16 times, I think it is, 16 or 17. And they have a 20-year-old in their starting lineup. Like, players are just making debuts younger and younger and younger. I don't know if it's, you know, the way that colleges are preparing them or, you know, the way that teams are developing high school and, and international free agent talent, but that's a big part of it. You know, there's just so many young guys that are just ready to make an impact and are making an impact. You know, I mean, Andre Semena has just got the biggest deal ever for a second baseman with his service time for Cleveland. He's 22, 23 years old. Mm. So that's just kind of the nature of the beast now where these guys are just coming up young and having very impactful performances. And, and to your point, you know, you think about some of the pitchers kind of aging out like a Justin Verlander, like a Max Scherzer, you know, some of those guys, what they're still doing at their advanced ages is incredible. Given that most of the league, you feel like it's a bunch of young dudes throwing 95 plus, yeah. you know, kind of taking the torch. But some of those guys are still hanging around and, and still, you know, being very respected in those awards markets. Yeah, I'm just I'm at this weird spot where I, I do got to get my energy back up for it because, like, the end of the World Baseball Classic was so good. I'm like, I'm so pumped for baseball, and then I remembered, like, oh, the Twins are gonna have like six games uh, canceled for bad weather because it's still April at this point. And, I mean, your your uh, Guardians as well. It's the same kind of boat. We don't have. We don't have domes and cold weather cities, so it sucks. But like, uh, I don't even know where I was going with this. I'm just. I'm just I think Cleveland had to play yeah. like twelve double headers last year because of yeah. games that were canceled just early in the year. Yeah, and that's where I wonder if that's sort. I you do see that now. Like the Twins don't actually have a home opener for the first week or so. They start with two road series. Like that's probably the right move for all of these teams at this point. I think it's well. You're seeing the same thing with the Buffalo Bills. Like, oh, we're not going to build a dome. It's like, why? Why? You know, I love outdoor football, but why not have the option? I was surprised the Twins didn't go that way. Um, what did, I guess, your expectations for the AL Central? And I, with strong bias, because, like, that is one of the interesting ones, as yeah. I'm seeing, like, I'm seeing so many varying opinions on the White Sox. Is basically what I'm getting at. Are you? I'm not, I'm not well, yeah, I am. I, honestly, I've seen, I've seen strong opinions both ways. I'm leaning towards, you know, just shitting on the White Sox, obviously, but your expectations because you're a little closer to Cleveland and I'm closer to Minnesota and we both don't like the White Sox. Well, I, I, think, 
I think it's pretty interesting because, again, you talk about teams that are really set up for this environment with the rule changes, and, and Cleveland is probably at the top of the list. As I mentioned earlier, lowest strikeout rate in baseball. They just put a ton of balls in play. They're a pain in the ass to face. Um, they're really good at going first to third. They're one of the best base running teams in baseball. And defensively, they have like they have three reigning gold glovers, plus Jose Ramirez is really good at third base. Like they're well equipped for these rule changes. At the same time, they had, I think it's 19 guys make their major league debuts last year. So, you know, what happens with those guys as they have to go through a second season, in the big leagues, the second year of the grind, all of that, the white Sox, I mean, look, if Lucas Giolito bounces back, they could be really, really good in, in the pitching side. Hopefully Liam Hendricks comes back. He's still not Hodgkin's lymphoma. So his health is first and foremost, but, elite reliever when he's out there. So if they can get him back, that helps the bullpen. The hitting changed philosophically. That could be big for them. But then there's the Twins who, if Byron Buxton's healthy, he's an absolute game changer. Problem is he never is. But they brought back Correa. They still have a top 10 lineup, I would say. They have a really good rotation now with Kenta Maeda coming back, Pablo Lopez. The bullpen largely underperformed last year, especially against Cleveland. The reason the Twins didn't finish with a good record is because they blew like every game against Cleveland in the last two months of the year. Yeah. So it's a legitimate three horse race where I feel bad for the Tigers and I don't. I feel bad for the Tigers and Royals to some degree, but it's a legit three horse race where they might have like three teams that win 87, 86, and 84 games. And one of them just happens to win the division. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, with the you know the unbalanced schedule, a little easier for the Royals and Tigers, but it's not like truly easier when you suck. Right. Like, it's not like oh, it's we not. don't have to we don't have to play the White Sox as well. Well, you're still bad. You still have to play teams that are better than you. It doesn't matter who they are. So that'll be <laughs> that'll be fun. I did have some. I do that usually. I put some Twins futures in, so I care a little more. So that was kind of annoying. <laughs> that was very no, it was not kind of. It was very annoying at the end of the year, basically the entire last month of the season as they they yeah. pissed away the division. But I mean, at least you didn't lose to the Yankees in the playoffs. So always right. a silver lining. No, you guys. I mean, Cleveland just followed your lead with that. You guys do yeah. that every year anyway. It's yeah, it's like our thing. So we, we right. took a year off from that. Mm. Andy, uh, I'm just looking at some of these names in the MVP market. There's no way you know who these guys play for. I, I, know, I, I, know. I know it. it, it here's it, Austin Riley, 15 to 1. What team is Austin, Austin Riley? Yeah, I think Austin Riley. What team does he play for? Boy, what, you, name the league. Give me the league. You can't just say MVP. <laughs> NL. Nash, National League. Yeah, he's a, he's a brave. Is that tr- correct or incorrect, Adam? That's correct. That okay. Correct. All right. I'm, we'll I'm, a, bra- I'm a big right. Braves guy. AL MVP. Stop, stop Kyle Kyle Tucker's twenty five to one. Who does Kyle Tucker play for? Andy? Kyle Tucker is a Houston Astro. Oh, I think. He's oh, how am I two for two oh, on this? Job. This is good awesome. Um, <laughs> you know oh, I, I do have a I do have a rule change. Back to rule changes, quick. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, triple A ball is going to be used a lot of robo umps. I'm actually planning on going. Whoa. It sounds like I have to go during a, a weekday game. They're going to go to regular umps for weekends. But I mean, St. Paul Saints, Des Moines Cubs are right here. They're not far. Big drives and like the Saints games are fun to begin with. Like, do you think? Like, just quick opinion. Do you think it's happening? Do you want it to happen? Will it be better? Just anything you have to say about that? Because I think that's. I'm psyched to go pay like twenty dollars to go to a minor league game to see fucking Robo Ups in person. I mean, I, I think it should happen. Um, the umpires union is very very powerful though so yeah. i don't know how much pushback there's going to be from them i think there could certainly be a lot of it 
But look, I went to, I don't remember who they played, but I went to an Aviators game last season. And this thing was home run derby. Like there must have been four home runs off the scoreboard, like 450 plus. It was a 17 to 7 game or some shit. It took like three hours and 10 minutes. And like every, there were reviews in terms of the robo, you know, ball and strike thing. And they were just streamlined perfectly into everything. Didn't take any extra time, really. They showed it on the scoreboard if it you know caught a piece of the strike zone or not. I liked it. I, I thought it was really good for the game. And again, I mean, it is tough because I think there's something to be said about having to adapt to a home plate umpire. I think there's a strategic yeah, element a to skill. it that baseball needs. It is a skill. You're right. But with the increased importance of catcher framing and how good these guys are at, yeah. you know, kind of pulling one over on the umpires, you know, again, I mean, it's, it, it's a valuable tool and a trait, but also it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Like get the call, right? Yeah. And okay. as you alluded to very early when we talked about the, you know, the guy having the heel on the grass, you know, the, the solution to that's well, add an umpire to watch for that. Well, there you go. Put a robot behind the plate. Move that guy out, have him watch all the other stuff. Like, and then everybody still has a job. Yeah. And like, that's fine. I, I just solved baseball, guys. <laughs> Let me get a couple of rapid fire reactions to some of the stuff that I bet already. Um, just give me a grade or like agree or disagree. Um, okay. I don't remember why I bet this stuff. I don't really know if it is live or not. Um, a healthy Christian Yelich is live for an LMVP at 150 to 1. It's a big price. It is a big price. I mean, at that, at that price, it's worthwhile. I I don't know that he's going to bounce back. But with that being said, I mean, he's a ground ball hitter for the most part to the pull side with a high hard hit percentage. There's a realistic possibility that he winds up being much better offensively this year. The concern I have is I don't think the Brewers are going to be very good. So Ooh, that would interesting. be my worry there. Okay. Um, Hunter Green, 70-1, and I'll sell you. I don't know if he stays healthy enough for that, but at least oh. at least the thing with the Cy Young is like you don't have to be on a good team to win it. Yeah. You know, like the MVP you do, it feels like. I mean, unless you're Mike Trout or Shoyatani, like you gotta be on a good team to win it. So Hunter Green, the fact that he's on a bad team, I mean, he could still have the numbers. I the home park and the home run problem is an issue for me though. So I don't know if I love that one. Okay. Uh Dodgers not to make the playoffs at plus 680. I'm glad this one's coming. I, I don't hate this <laughs> at all, actually. I and this I think this team is down quite a few notches from previous teams. They don't have the same depth in the lineup. They don't have the same depth in the rotation. Um, they have great star power, but I don't know if they can endure another major injury like the Gavin Lux one. So I think this is a worthwhile gamble. I could see the Padres winning that division. If the Diamondbacks are as good as people think, they'll at least you know be 500 or better. Um, I, I could see this happening. The only thing that worries me is like I don't know who's the final you know two wild card teams. The Phillies have major injury issues. I like sure. the Brewers are great, but I could see a scenario in which the Dodgers just shit the bed and they're a 500 team. No, that makes. I, that I makes just bet. Sense. I bet the D-backs pitcher that got cut that got sent <laughs> to the he got reassigned. He didn't work. Oh, yeah, I, I have a big number on him, and I mean he'll pitch this year, just not he right will. now. Mm -hmm. I mean he, he led the minors in strikeouts last year, so yeah. How about Oscar Colas, uh, AL Rookie of the Year, thirty to one? I yeah, I think that's a good one, especially because you know if the White Sox are going to do this thing where they change their hitting philosophy, 
yeah. then he's got the potential to hit for some power. I like it. Corbin Carroll, NL Rookie of the Year. So many. What's 30, the number? 33? Oh, no. Oh, sorry. I mean, no, I, I bet him stolen base the year at 33. Sorry. Curtis okay. Mead, Rookie of the Year, 70 to 1. I like the Corbin Carroll one I like. I mean, if he gets on base, he's going to have a green light to go. So okay. that's what I do like for stolen bases for sure. Okay. Last last one here. Uh, Yankees to make the playoffs. No. Plus 420. There are enough injury concerns with that rotation that, that I could see. And this is one where I think the depth of the AL is a little bit higher. Because yeah. there's a scenario in which like the Angels somehow finally get good with Trout and Otani or the Rangers take a big leap, or one of these central teams we talked about is actually a wild card. The Blue Jays may very well win the East. I did bet Rays under 88.5, but Hmm. I could see them winning 90 games because they're just smart and better than everyone and everything else. So uh, Yankees miss the playoffs is not that big of a stretch at all. I like it. All right, well, let's wrap there. Uh, Best luck this baseball season. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy opening day. Yeah, yeah who do, yeah, who do the, the Guardians have? The mental grind. Uh, they're in <laughs> Seattle. It's Luis Castillo and Shane Bieber. So Ooh, good one. That's the biggest good thing. Like, I, I finished my writing pretty much last week, and and now I've started a, a new baseball podcast, Vsin Daily Baseball Bets, on uh, Monday through Friday. But what time? What well, time is it on? Or it's, uh, it's probably going to be out. I would say between two and three Eastern. So there's okay, not cool. a ton of lead time on it, but. That's what you run into being on the West Coast. But that's what you get in the afternoon on drive home before you go baseball. But the one thing I'll say is like I've spent the last four or five days like trying to prepare myself mentally for the the grind that baseball is because there's so many ups and downs. And like you have a bad night, a couple bullpen meltdowns. Guess what? There's 15 games tomorrow. Like (laughs) that's the thing. The mental grind of baseball is is something that I'm really trying to better prepare myself for. I love it. Well, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Best of luck to you this season. Godspeed. Thank you for your time. And go check out Adam Burke at Skating Tripods and uh, the uh, daily show for Visa. I'm excited to get more baseball content in my life. So fantastic. Andy, best of luck to your twins as well, except uh, I think uh, Adam's kind of talking me into a little Guardians to win the Central. So maybe worst of luck to your twins. I guess. Go. Go Saints. I'll, I'll cheer for minor league. I have bet on minor league baseball. I don't care. <laughs> Sorry, you guys just got to stop talking. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's all good, man. Um, yeah, Corbin Carroll. Most stolen bases. I like that. <laughs> <laughs>